0: Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Serenity Caldwell, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: I'm all right. A uh, little bit of a cold. I think we're, we're switching off uh, awkward voice duties for the, uh, for the week. Uh, but I'll, I'll try and still <laughs> sound like a human, hopefully. We'll see.
1: Yeah, so we're back. It's episode episode thirty, and I wanted to start with uh, an anniversary. So this week marks the twentieth anniversary of Apple unveiling the original iMac. There's a bunch of links in the show notes, but I kind of wanted to talk through that with you. I know you've you've actually been a Mac user a lot longer than me. Uh, I didn't come to the Mac until 2002 or so. So after this, um, but of course, the iMac was is a really Important computer. You know, it's hard to put too fine of a point on like this is the machine that really turned things around. There's a lot going on. Uh, Steve Jobs came back, and then ten months later, we see him uh, unveil this computer, and they ship it a couple months later in in August. But it really gave Apple the runway, I think, to do things like build. OS 10. and of course the machine was different from anything else right like the whole computer industry Apple included was just shipping beige boxes. Apple was shipping some all-in ones but everything was gray or beige or and sort of drab and then this thing comes and it's blue and it's curvy and swoopy and um, it really changed the game. So I was curious if you have any any like uh, memories of that time because I know like you grew up in a in a very like Mac centric household. Uh, did this make an impact on you then?
0: Oh, yeah. So the uh, the Bondi Blue iMac was actually the first computer that was new to me, like that I that I bought. Um, when I say I, my dad bought them for me because I was only like 10, I think, <laughs> at the time. Uh, so, but yeah, I, this was, this was my real first computer. Um, things that weren't hand-me-downs from my dad from his Caltech years or anything like that. Uh, and... Ugh! Oh, it's I have so many good memories of this computer. I remember when it first came out, I remember just being completely awed because at the wow. time, you know, I was still using mostly the Mac Plus. Uh, and wow. yeah, <laughs> what, a, what an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. Right. The Mac Plus was in my room, but my my dad had a performer. Right. So I had yeah. I had access to the, the latest and greatest um Mac stuff, but it really wasn't my computer. It wasn't the thing that I was using as a daily driver. Uh, so to have that opportunity to have like the the iMac, you know, it was there, it was sleek, it was beautiful, it was blue and I loved it. Uh, and when when I convinced my father to get it for me for Christmas or for like for my birthday and Christmas as kind of a joint present. I was over the moon. Uh, to the point where, like, I, there's a, there's a picture somewhere of, and I'm, I'm actually at home this, this week, so maybe I can even find it for the show notes. There's a picture of me hugging this, this Mac, <laughs> like, <laughs> literally pulling, like, standing up, holding my arms around it and making the most, the happiest face that, that I could describe. Uh, just, just absolutely being in love with this Mac um, I even liked the, the little hockey puck mouse, which everybody else seemed to hate. Um, I thought it was fun. Granted, as a ten-year-old, it was the f- perfect size for my hand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great if you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was perfect as a kid. Um, but yeah, like as a as a kid who's growing up kind of in the in the internet and technology age. Like the iMac was a really special computer uh, because it felt like it was for me in a way. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like the beige boxes felt adult and professional and everything else. And the iMac felt like my computer. Like this was the computer that I always dreamed of. Um, and you know, there the fact that it was so easily you could so easily access the internet, um, which mm-hmm. you know prior to this. With I don't know if you remember because you I think you mentioned you, you came to the Mac a little bit later but when the iMac first came out there was also Apple teamed up with Earthlink to do like this promo <laughs> this internet mm-hmm. promo because AOL at that point still had such like a stranglehold on the on the connecting to the internet world uh, so Earthlink was like here this is it's, it was called eWorld I think and it was like this is Kind of like AOL, except it's so much easier to use. I think we had the promo for about six months, and I I thought it was so cool.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the internet angle I think is really what well, was really special about how Apple marketed this. Because other than than that deal, the iMac was not all that different from previous Macs. Like yes, the the IO was different, which we can talk about, but. It was still running, and this seems crazy now, but it was running Mac OS 8. You know, OS 10 wasn't until several years later. But I think it's easy to think about those two things being the same time, but they really aren't. And so you were still using classic Mac software, and you still had things like a modem. And it came with an Ethernet jack, but nobody had Ethernet at home. Mm -hmm. This is before wireless. So in a way, it wasn't that big of a step forward when it came to getting on the Internet. But the genius of the iMac marketing was, if you want to get on the internet, this is the appliance uh, uh, that you will use for that, right? It's not a computer in the sense that you can open it and put stuff in it, right? It's an all-in-one. It was harkening back to the original Mac. This is something that's got a handle on it. You get it out of the box. You put it on your desk. It's not scary looking, right? You're not hooking no. a bunch of stuff up. It's very friendly and approachable. And hey, you can get on the internet on it. And that really resonated with people.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it was really special in the way that you I don't know, it it was it was a, a movement uh, for people to basically say, you know, this is this is a computer that you don't have to be scared of. This is a computer that will help you do the things that you want even though, you know, as as you mentioned, it was kind of, you know, there were a lot of people who kind of brushed the iMac aside as like again, low powered too expensive. You can do, you know, you can buy a Dell for half of this much and it'll do more things. Um, but the the driving force behind this was just so, so much like, oh, this is easy. You don't have to have scudzy ports. You don't have to have crazy mm-hmm. proprietary connections. Oh, hey, look, there's this thing called USB and it's so simple to connect. You don't have to use screws or anything to <laughs> right. connect your keyboard. Um, I, I don't know. I... Like it's funny to me because I used the iMac for three or four years, and yet the only way I can talk, like I, I, my memories are just overwhelmed by just emotion and platitudes. Like I can't, if I, if I think about like specific moments of using this computer, mostly I remember uh, sitting down, like switching between classic and early versions of OS X. Like I had a dual boot system going on so that I could still use a really old version of freehand and Photoshop and classic. And then because Adobe didn't work for the first, I think year that OS 10 was out. And then I would swap it, just have OS 10 just for the goodies, like the random, the random fun. But like, I don't, I don't really remember specific moments of using the computer, right? Like uh, in, in a way where I, I definitely do for all of my, for my Mac plus I do for the other ones. But when I think about the iMac, I just think about pure joy. I just think about like having fun using it. Just strange.
1: <laughs> no, I, th- I think that's that's one reason this machine was so popular. You know, you did mention USB, and I think it's important to to talk about it for a second. This computer didn't have SCSI or ADB or serial. You know, all of that stuff that had been on the back of Macs for a decade, mm-hmm. and was on the back of the professional Mac until after this computer. Um, the Power Mac followed in the iMac's footsteps uh, several months later and it wasn't like the the uh, thunderbolt 3 uh, thing is now where you can adapt out like this was a hard break like you were buying new accessories mm-hmm. if your if your scanner was a, had a scuzzy connector on it you're buying a new scanner to use it with your <laughs> iMac and it's really incredible I, I was reading through some old macworld magazines in preparation for this and there were no usb devices for the Mac, when this was introduced, right? Because it was it, it wasn't USB wasn't a thing on the Mac. USB was barely a thing in the world, and by the time it finally shipped, and in, you still
0: really had to have drivers. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you had to have the hardware and the software, and because the Mac was such a tiny platform, there was a real concern that oh, USB is going to take off on the on the Windows side, but no one's going to buy or build drivers for the Mac because the Mac is so small. And thankfully, it that panned out. Right? Apple took a really big bet here, and and it worked. And this is also a machine that doesn't have any removable storage. There's no floppy drive. <laughs> and the original one just had a CD, a CD drive. So, you know, it's really incredible how bold they were with this. But I think that boldness is what energized the, the user base. The people saw where Apple was going. And thankfully, they followed and the industry followed. Because if they hadn't, uh, we may not be having a podcast today. <laughs> I mean, Apple was in really bad shape. And this was the right machine at the right time. I, I just think it's... I think it's incredible how well it worked out.
0: Yeah, it really did. I mean, this this was the machine that allowed me to really talk to people about how awesome <laughs> I really like. I had been a Mac fan from the very beginning, but I was always kind of not necessarily made fun of per se because people still, you know, the Mac Plus was still a pretty popular computer when kids were around, and uh, you know, but there was still this this growing sentiment of like, why are you using a Mac? PCs are so much better. You can build right. them. You can do all these things on them. You can code on them. And, uh, yeah, it's once the iMac came out, I was like, yeah, but can you do all of this stuff? Um, I can't even remember. Do you know, Stephen, um, if iLife came out with the first Mac, or was that an, an OS X thing? I want to say it was an OS, yeah. OS X thing, but...
1: Yeah, iLife was definitely uh, an OS X thing. Uh, iTunes was around starting in two thousand one, so that's three years after this. So this is, I mean, this really is like Mac OS eight days. I mean, you ha- you are using AppleWorks and you are using uh, you know all those classic apps, uh, all all the creative stuff that came with iLife was was you know three, four, five years later
0: iMac DV, I forgot about this. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, the DV brought Firewire and iMovie. So iMovie was, iMovie and iTunes were the first ones, but things like iPhoto and iDVD weren't until much later.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because at the time, I mean, the the CD drive was just read-only, as I recall.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a simple machine. Looking back, uh, obviously, you know, pales in comparison to the hardware we have now, but it, it really made a splash. So, it's it's fun hearing your stories about it. Like I said I kind of miss this, you know. The iMac G3 was one of the first Macs I interacted with at school, but I didn't really understand the importance of it. Like I thought it was weird because we had some beige Macs too. It's like, "Oh, this one is, you know, purple or this one's green." Like <laughs> obviously it was different, but um I definitely wasn't uh wasn't aware of its importance until years later.
0: Yeah. And I think it still has a very important role to play years down the line. I mean, when we think about all-in-ones, those were really – I think all-in-ones really weren't being made outside of the education market, and they were really kind of shunned upon because they were looked at as inferior computers and weaker computers – uh, because you couldn't obviously put as much stuff in them. Uh, and Apple, I think, really revolutionized the idea that an all-in-one computer can be sleek and sexy and awesome and and a great computer and not just like a hindrance for the education market. And we look at it, you know, the iMac Pro today, right?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like the, the all-in-one is still Apple's kind of uh, home base, at least on the desktop. And I think for all the same reasons it was important to them then that it's more approachable. You know, I have an iMac Pro here, and it's looking around my desk, it's hooked up to an audio interface, to a headphone amp, uh, to three external hard drives, and it's got Ethernet coming into it. It has all this stuff. But sitting here at my desk, I can't see any of it because it's all going out the back. Like, it's all very friendly and approachable. And in a way, in all the all-in-one design sort of hides the complexity and power that this machine has. Now, there's still room for Atari. they're still building the Mac Pro and we can talk about that, you know, when it appears next year. But I think the all-in-one even as notebooks take over, right? The majority of Macs are s- sold as notebooks. That's that's been true for many many years. But I think on the desktop, the the all-in-one is still Apple's home base for for all the same reasons that it worked not only 20 years ago, but uh, 34 years ago as well with the original Macintosh. So that's the iMac. Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, iMac.
0: Mac. And happy birthday, Hockey Puck Mouse. <laughs> uh,
1: they killed that before they went to the G4. That didn't, that didn't make it too long, thankfully. No. Uh, before we carry on, we got a lot more to talk about. I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Query is brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom. The reason Pingdom is awesome is because it keeps your sites, the sites you love, online. Pingdom monitors a website so you don't have to, giving you real time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times. Because let's just be honest, stuff breaks on the internet all the time. In fact, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages a month. That's more than 400,000 a day. So, regardless of whether you have a small website or managing a complete, complicated infrastructure, it's super important to monitor its availability and performance so you don't become one of, those, one of those 13 million outages each month. You don't want your website to be down, but you really don't want it to be down, and you find out about it via a tweet or an email. And that's why you need Pingdom, because they alert you quicker than anything else. And it's super easy to get started, because all Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor. They take care of the rest. You're not doing things on your server or doing things with your DNS. You just give Pingdom a URL, and you're set to go. Go to pingdom.com/slash/relayfm right now for a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And then, when you sign up, use the code QUERY at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so we had we had a question from Gav uh, who writes, uh, We're looking to replace a Windows laptop for light home use. And wondering if we should get a 12.9-inch iPad Pro or a MacBook Escape, which is sort of the, the nickname for the 13-inch MacBook Pro with no touch bar. So it's got two ports and function keys and stuff. Um, this is a really interesting question for a bunch of reasons. A, the price point between those two things, especially if you do like the smart keyboard and a pencil, very close. You know, it's definitely within the same range of the, of the that cheap MacBook Pro. Uh, so it's not like you're spending half the money or twice the money or... And the same ballpark, uh, but I think it comes down to to what you need to do
0: absolutely, so yeah, I find this question really interesting as you as you mentioned, Stephen, um, especially because I currently use both an iPad pro and a MacBook um, so i'm I feel like I have a really good idea of use cases for each of them um, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when it comes to what exactly does light home use mean for you, Gav. Uh, because it could be a a whole range of different things. Like, are we talking about email? Um, are we talking about using, you know, a shared home calendar? Are you talking about photo viewing or photo editing? Or do you want to share and organize your photos? Uh, do you want to watch a lot of Netflix, uh, or other, uh, third party services? Do you want to watch YouTube? Uh, do you plan on using a lot of docs, uh, whether that's, Microsoft Office or Google Docs or even Apple's iWork suite. I mean, you mentioned you're coming from a Windows laptop, so I assume your familiarity is mostly in the office realm, maybe Google Docs. Um, And then there's also stuff like social media. Um, And then it kind of bleeds over also into the form factor of both of these devices, right? Um, when you say light home use, you know, where are you planning on using this computer? Is it a computer that's going to be sitting in the living room mostly that you're going to be using intermittently while hanging out or lounging about? Is it a computer that you have in, you know, a home office or in a dining room turned home office, uh, that you want to work, you know, do some, some home related, uh, expenses or something like that. Um, is it a computer that you want to travel with? I mean, you mentioned that it's a laptop, uh, so, or, you know, you're looking at kind of laptop form factors. Uh, so presumably you want it to be portable, but how portable are you looking at? Um, one of the things that I really like about the iPad pro is it can be, uh, depending on cases and accessories, you can make this thing very, you know, extremely portable. Um, I, I actually prefer traveling with the iPad whenever I'm going on a plane because it's much easier to use in in-flight seats. Um, it's also one of the few devices that you can use on takeoff and landing. Um, although people have gotten a little bit more cranky about that if you now have a, a keyboard attached to it. So always something to to know. Um, but you know, the iPad pro has the, both the digital keyboard and keyboard accessories that make it into a hardware keyboard. So you have a lot more flexibility in that regard. Um, you also Uh, There's the question of cellular service, right? Where if you're using this as a computer on the go, one of the, I think the biggest unsung advantages of the iPad is that you can get one with cellular service, and you can essentially have a a connected computer pretty much anywhere in the world without needing an iPhone uh, to do tethering or anything like that. Um, And that, in my opinion, is a, is a huge advantage if it's something that you care about, right? Are you, you know, uh, are you going to be using this with kids? Uh, are they going to want to watch stuff in the back seat while you're on a car trip? Um, or do, you know, be on the internet while you're on a car trip? Uh, or even if that's just a significant other who wants to work, uh, that, that can be really useful. Uh, there's also considering the pencil, right? Um, the iPad pro can be really useful for drawing and sketching and note-taking and doing diagrams and all sorts of other things, um, with the pencil. Um, and that's, that's an option there. Uh, I realize as I'm talking through this, I'm like, I sound really heavy pro iPad. And I do, I think I am a little bit when it comes to light home use situations and, and most m- minor travel things. Uh, but there are, I should say, there are like specific, uh, specific reasons you wouldn't want to use an iPad. Um, and a lot of that comes down to software uh, and specific, you know, specific tasks that you want to use. Obviously, the iPad has gotten much better at multitasking in recent years, but it still pales in the comparison, especially if you're comfortable with the keyboard shortcuts of quickly whizzing around and switching between multiple apps on a Mac. Um, there are also certain internet experiences. It's a lot better than it used to be, but there are still certain, um, certain web pages that don't play as nicely with iPad that they do with on a Mac or a PC. Um, so it's helpful to know, you know, uh, to test kind of cert- if you have anything, like if you uh, work for the government or if you have any government related things that you need to connect to uh, the iPad Historically, does not like government websites very much because they're usually running code that's designed for like IE six. Um, it's they're they're a little bit out of date. Uh, the JavaScript is I mean I think the big thing it's less less so Flash and more outdated JavaScript uses. Uh, there's also the question of keyboards. I think that the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro has a great keyboard setup in terms of like the additional Logitech Create case. Um, Apple's own magic or Apple's own um, smart keyboard is also pretty good. Um, but if you want something that's a little more tactile feeling, you might want to go with the MacBook Escape. Of course, there's also the flip side of that, which is that some people really hate its keyboard. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, it's just really, really capital H hate. And there's also the question of, I think the MacBook Escape has a slightly higher reliability rate on keys getting stuck than the Touch Bar Macs. Uh, but I don't have hard numbers in front of me on that. Uh, so there's also the consideration of this, that round of MacBook Pro keyboards has had in the past issues with crumbs getting of the keyboard and making them inoperable. And I will say the Logitech Create, both the Logitech Create and the uh, Smart Keyboard are, I think, in my opinion, a lot more durable <laughs> in that, you know, I've eaten around my iPad Pro, I've taken my iPad Pro to the beach and it's been fine. Like I haven't had a dead key ever. Uh, and you know, the smart keyboard is fully covered in fabric, so there's no way to get stuff under the keys. Um, so I don't know. I, I think, yeah, it really depends on your personal use cases and you're going to like, this is where I really find like a pros and cons list very helpful. Um, and doing some research, if you have an Apple store nearby, uh, you want to go and kind of test both of them, see some of the use cases that you might be considering, Um, especially as I said, don't test the normal ones. Don't test the ones that like, you know, the iPad will do well, test the niche ones, test the really weird things where you're like, this is something I maybe only use once a year, but like, it's really important to my home, my home workflow, uh, like expense reports or or filing taxes or things like that. I think about, right. Um, test those on your computers and go from there.
1: I think uh, another factor too, is, you know, you said, uh, you said we a couple times in that question, and so if you need multi-user support,
0: mm. that is
1: that is Mac only at this point. You know, that, that could change in the future, and I hope it does, especially on the iPad. But if you need a system where you know one or more people have their own data sets, you know their own contacts, their own calendars, their own logins logins to apps, like an iPad, unfortunately is a is a very single person. Type of device for for a lot of people, so that's something that that came to mind for me is you know if this is a shared device, iOS doesn't really excel at that at this point.
0: No, it really doesn't. Um, and again, this is something where I'm kind of hoping we'll see an improvement to that this year um, at the latest WWDC for iOS 12. But it's not something you can really bank on. Uh, so if you are going to use a a multi-user device, or if you're going to use the iPad as a multi-user device, you may even need to think about creating another iCloud account, like a, a, a shared family iCloud account, uh, so that if you have, for instance, an iPhone, so that your messages don't show up on your kid's iPad or uh, an iPad that your kids use, uh, especially if you occasionally swear about them to your friends. <laughs> you know, like little little important things to think about um steven i know i also know before the show you had mentioned um storage space and i think that's a really important thing to talk about
1: yeah on ios you're going to be more dependent on cloud services uh just because you don't have that local file system the way you do on the mac and in particular with with icloud stuff you know um unless you buy the biggest ipad pro you know, you're you are going to be limited in size to a degree if you have a large photo library, and you're going to be dependent on iCloud to to make sure that that gets backed up and synced uh, other places. So, you know, it it's more than than just the cost of the device. You know, I would say on the Mac side, if you if you uh, with the Mac, one of those extra expenses is going to be a hard drive to back it up to, or something like Backblaze. You know. Um, on, on iOS, that means paying for a service. On the Mac, it means you know, paying for a device or a service. But you do have those other costs that, that can come into play. And if you have a lot of data then uh, that you want to keep locally and not some, on something like Dropbox or iCloud Drive, then the Mac may be a better choice.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's a big deal. Um, and it is is—it is easier to, of course, interaction files storage than it has been on iOS, but I still think that the Mac is key mm-hmm. when it comes to that sort of stuff. Uh, so those are kind of our, our recommendations, Gav. I, I hope that helps you get a little bit more of a sense of where you should be looking and what, thi- what factors you should be considering. Uh, as I said, I'm a little bit bullish on iPad Pro when it comes to basic home use devices. I think... Unless you have something very niche that you need a, a Mac for, I, I tend to lean towards it because there's just there's so much more flexibility uh, for on an iPad.
1: Yeah. So I hope that was helpful. There's a lot of pros and cons on both sides <laughs> of this. And you know, it may be that it comes down to a single factor that kicks one over the other. We're going to get into the speed run, but first I want to tell you about our second sponsor this week. That is Simple Contacts. It's pretty great when an app takes a tiresome task and makes it fuss-free. And Simple Contacts does this by being the easy way to renew your contact lens prescription. You'll be able to reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. All you need to do is to complete their online self-guided vision test. It takes less than five minutes, and you can do it from wherever you are. No more doctor's offices and no more waiting rooms. Once you complete it, you can order your favorite contacts right from the website or app. Simple Contacts offers the lens brands you love with options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and more. You'll be able to order exactly what you need from the palm of your hand whenever you want. I know they offer the brand that I like, which I'm a little picky about, and they just show up at my door. I don't have to leave the house. It's super great. The vision test is just 20 bucks. For comparison, an appointment without insurance could cost you over 200 Simple Contacts can save you money and time, but we do need to let you know this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Simple Contacts just checks that your current prescription still helps you see 2020 and will renew your lenses based on that prescription. They're not writing a new prescription or examining your eye health. Like I said, I've used this. I did the vision test. My prescription is still good. I ordered the contacts they show up. It's all very simple, all from the iPhone. It feels like the future, quite honestly. As a listener of this show, you can save $30 off your contact lenses. Go to simplecontacts.com query or enter the code query at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com query or use the code query for $30 off. We thank Simple Contacts for their support of the show.
0: So Benjamin writes, a friend of mine got a new number. This one and the old one are both SMS conversations. How can I combine the two text message threads, Stephen?
1: Um, unfortunately, uh, I'm, our messages is really pretty bad at this. There's no way to combine these that you, neither you nor I could think of or we could find or try. Uh, it seems like you're going to be stuck with that sort of historical record with the old number and then the new messages under the new number uh this is irritating with group messages too i wish apple would give us more tools around this because this happens and you end up with splintered threads and conversations with people but uh unfortunately as far as we know there's not there's not a great answer for benjamin
0: yeah and then for like the the sad kind of frustrating thing is this is true for a lot of messages services like uh facebook is not great about this either Uh, Although uh, I think the best thing to do, honestly, if you're, if you're worried about switching, this is more of a future proof thing. Um, if you want to keep, uh, all of your messages in the same place, you might want to consider, um, uh, consider an, uh, an app like signal, um, where you just have the, you have the username of the person and then their underlying phone number connects to that username rather than worrying about the phone number itself. Mm-hmm. You would think, um, that this would all work magically in messages because Apple is, you know, in generally pretty good about that, except no, it's been a pain for years. And especially when SMS is concerned, um, maybe if, uh, if Apple switches over to Google's Fancy new open system. I forget what it's called already. It's been two weeks and I've already <laughs> Chat. Yeah, Do you remember, you, Stephen? Yeah, using
1: RCS as the backend.
0: Yes, RCS, that's it. I was like, the acronym just completely went out of my head. So if Apple switches over to RCS over SMS, as Google is doing, um, maybe there's there are more tools in that arena. But unfortunately, here you're kind of out of luck.
1: All right, we have a question from H. Uh, they ask about AirPlay. Wanting to know how AirPlay works without connecting to a Wi-Fi network. Is it like a Wi-Fi direct connection? And how a HomePod knows if your device is nearby?
0: Uh, That is a great question. Uh, So AirPlay has supported peer-to-peer. So no Wi-Fi network necessary. Since I believe 2014, it started with the third generation Apple TV. Um, a software update, and it does in fact work with HomePod and the latest Apple TV. Uh, the way it works is you use Bluetooth for discovering the, the devices in, in your periphery, whether that's a HomePod or an Apple TV, um, and then it uses a direct, uh, direct Wi-Fi connection or a point-to-point Wi-Fi connection um, to talk. Uh, basically, it uses the, the overarching Wi-Fi uh, architecture to make a direct connection without actually needing a Wi-Fi network. Um, Wi-Fi direct is a type of this. Um, Apple does not officially use the Wi-Fi direct brand name, but they do use point-to-point Wi-Fi. Um, it is still kind of clunky even four years after uh, after its existence. Um, and if you do have local Wi-Fi uh, that your devices might try and auto-connect to, you're going to want to forget those Wi-Fi networks in order to make this work effectively because otherwise it just it tends to auto hop onto the wi-fi networks especially on ios devices uh would and then that does not make your uh does not make the direct wi-fi connection work Mm -hmm. um but that's kind of the general gist of it i was looking for a for a key like a, a support uh, knowledge base article from Apple about this and I actually couldn't find it Stephen. So I might go do a little bit more digging after the show and see if we can find something for the show notes but um, but yeah until then that's that's basically the gist of how this works. Uh,
1: yeah, it's one of those things where I don't think about it much because I've had pretty good uh, pretty good luck with it as far as it uh, just these things doing what they're supposed to do. but it is helpful to know how it works in case in case something goes wrong.
0: Yeah, and oh, I should I should say reasons that you might use uh, peer-to-peer AirPlay as opposed to connecting AirPlay over Wi-Fi. It's really good in classrooms or for presentations um, if you don't have access to the local. Wi-Fi network, you can still connect to your iPhone or your iPad or your Mac to your Apple TV and then present. Um, or if you're, say, you're bringing your HomePod, I don't know. I say you're bringing your HomePod to your sports warm-ups, right? And you want everybody to listen to a, a jazz up song to get them pumped for for an upcoming competition. Uh, you can plug in the HomePod, and you don't need a Wi-Fi network nearby. You can just use Wi-Fi. Uh, you can just use uh, peer-to-peer AirPlay to play an offline song from your from your iPhone. So cool stuff. Uh, So let's go on to our last question in the speed run, Stephen. Uh, Anthony would like to ask you, um, they saved an iMac G3 from going to the recycling center. Anything fun that they should do with
1: it? (laughs) is a great question. I think you've got a couple of options, uh, depending on what sort of shape it's in. If it's up and running, then I would say find an old version of Mac OS or OS X. And install it in there, and then explore you know vintage apps and games. If you're if you have an iMac G three, the early ones will run macOS eight. Uh, you can run OS nine on a bunch of them, and then the first several versions of OS ten. So find something that has apps that you remember that you want to explore, and let's go crazy and use it. Um, for a long time, I used a iMac G three as an iTunes jukebox in uh, an old office of mine years ago because the built-in speakers actually sound pretty good. And if you, mm-hmm. uh, if you hunt around, you can find you know, older versions of iTunes, uh, old versions of OS X may come with iTunes bundled even, and you can, you can uh, listen to music that way. But if it doesn't work or if it you know, if it's, you know, needs a little help, um, put, it, put the thing on display. They look super cool. Uh, if, you know, they're sort of translucent, so maybe you could light it and it'd be a fun way, be a nice, a nice talking point in your home or your office. So uh, I'm glad you saved it from the Recycling Center, and uh, I hope you enjoy it.
0: Yeah, Oh, I'm so jealous. I love those computers. They're beautiful. Get
1: you one. There you come come across one. <laughs> I think I think that about does it. We started and ended with the iMac. It's uh, it's hard to beat that. Thank you for listening to Query. You,
0: it's a good, uh, good full circle.
1: Yeah, full, all the way around. Uh, thank you, thank you for listening to Query this week. You can find show notes at Relay.fm/slash/Query/slash/thirty to submit questions. You can tweet with the hashtag AskQuery. In the meantime, you can find Serenity there at SETTERN, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, and you can find her writing at imore.com. I'm Isam on Twitter and write at 512pixels.net. Until our next episode, Serenity, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.